Welcome to the Nothing Is Wasted podcast, conversations designed to help you as you live, learn, and lead through pain. And now the host of the Nothing Is Wasted podcast, Davey Blackburn. Hello and welcome to the Nothing Is Wasted podcast. My name is Davey and joining me, our co-host Mel McIsaac. Mel, how are you? I'm doing well. How's, how about yourself? How's St. Louis right now? St. Louis is frigid. It's just one big giant icicle. <laughs> I feel like we're just all kind of experiencing that weather. It's really nuts. Now, of course, the time that this releases, hopefully it'll be a little bit warmer. You know, it's March. when Fingers the crossed. Listeners, but when we're recording this, it is still winter and it is still cold. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I need it to not be in the negatives for a little bit. Yes, absolutely. There is nothing fun about that. Um, you know, speaking of St. Louis and speaking of springtime, I am excited about potentially getting out there and seeing a Cardinals game. And I think Christy and I have an excuse to come and visit you and Charlie now. Absolutely. Yeah, we will definitely... We. I think I can get us some good tickets, but yes, we would love to have you and Christy come out and we can go to a Cardinals game and I will show you what is the best nacho stand in the entire Bush Stadium. The best nacho stand in the entire... Yeah, I don't mess around. There's just one that's the best. Only one. Man, it's good to know people who have the inside scoop on things. I love it. I've not actually been to Bush Stadium, so I have a a dream to take Weston to all of the baseball, the MLB stadiums in oh. the country before he's 18. Oh, that's a great dream. So you got to follow through with that. We definitely have to. And living in Indianapolis, we've got all kinds of great stadiums in the Midwest, just like within four and five hours of a drive. So we're going to be knocking those out pretty soon. We're taking you up on the nacho stand. Okay. We Come on over. We will gladly host you as long as you are not a Cubs fan. Uh, that goes against everything we believe in. Uh, oh. <laughs> oh, gosh. Did this just get awkward? <laughs> just got awkward. We might have to reevaluate this one now. Oh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. We're, we're Cubs fans. You know, I used to be a Red Sox fan. Okay. Not that our listeners really care about this, but we'll just go there. I used to be a Red Sox fan because I loved Nomar Garcia Parra. And my late wife, Amanda, was a Yankees fan when we met. So I'm a Red Sox fan. She's a Yankees fan. We were like, hey, we got to do something different here. This is not going to work, right? Because the rivalry is just too thick. So we decided, Nomar got traded to the Cubs. We decided, let's both abandon our teams. Not to mention the Red Sox had just won the World Series. And everybody jumped the bandwagon. And it was no longer fun to root for the Red Sox because they weren't the underdog <laughs> anymore. And I like to root for the underdog. So I'm like, what would be better than to root for the Cubs? Because Nomar just went to the Cubs. They haven't won a World Series since, what, 1908 at that point. They Let's... are the epitome of an underdog. <laughs> in the the, if you look in the dictionary, it says underdog, colon, Cubs. Cubs. <laughs> it's so true. So we decided that we were going to pull for the Cubs together. So I'm a big Cubs fan. And I think I'm, I think I'm coercing Christy. She's more of a basketball fan. Mm. Um, so baseball's not really, I mean, she enjoys going, but it's not really her sport to follow. But I think if I can get her up to Wrigley, so I'm a, maybe I better get her to Wrigley before you get her to Bush Stadium. That probably All right, better be. It's on. That's the challenge. <laughs> hey, listen, we got a great interview today with a local. Speaking of Indianapolis, a pastor that's local here to Indianapolis named Nate Pyle, and he has just this week released a book called "More Than You Can Handle." Um, and we talk about so much in his story that, I mean, it's an incredible, incredible story. Lots of pain involved in this story, specifically surrounding infertility and um, miscarriage, um, anxiety. Um, it's just just a lot that he and his wife went through, and they kind of address this question. Um, does When people say, you know, God will never put on you more than you can handle. Mm. And uh, they address that statement, right? And, and it's just such a such a great interview. Um, but I think I think this is going to hit a lot of listeners because there's so many there's so many people who are dealing and and wrestling through and walking journeys through s- some of these issues with infertility. And um, yeah, I mean that really hits home right here. Uh, my husband and I we had a miscarriage in 2014. Hmm. And um, it was just a real painful season. We um, delivered the baby. We got to say goodbye. We actually um, have a tombstone for the baby. Oh, wow. And um, and then we went through about a year and a half of secondary infertility. And so it's one of those, um, 
it's hard because we had Lindy, we have a, a five-year-old mm-hmm. little girl, um, but then our heart is aching and yearning for another baby and just wondering, God, why, why is this not happening? Yeah. Wow. And so I'm, I'm really looking forward to getting my hands on this book and hearing what he has to say. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's so many insightful things and, and, and being a pastor, he, he, he comes at it from a, a great mixture and tension between the theological and the emotional and I and I, I really think that God has um, has given him such a great voice into these things because he he knows all the answers. He's known them since before they kind of walked through this season as a family. He knows how to pastor people if they're walking through this stuff. But then he he underwent some of these things, and it's like all that went from the head to the heart. And um, it's just such a great. I mean, so insightful. So I can't wait for you to to listen to this interview with Nate Pyle. But before we jump into this podcast, I'd love to read a review that was recently posted. Um, It says, we lost a child at 10 months old, and we prayed and grieved for this child from pregnancy to giving him back to Jesus. This podcast has been so encouraging to us as parents who have walked a journey we didn't want to walk. Jesus is good. Nothing is wasted. I love that this podcast continues to share God's goodness, grace, and mercy. Thank you, Davey and crew, for this continued encouragement. Wow. That's awesome. I mean, how appropriate too. Um, wow. And what the listener doesn't know, this is what's really cool about God. I can just go ahead and give the behind the scenes is that we're like doing this interview going, huh, we should read a review. And the first one that pops up is about losing a child. That's God mm-hmm. right there. That's like yeah. providence. I believe there's somebody who has really uh, been wrestling with this, who's going to listen to this podcast. And I just want to say that I, I think this is a personal message. Like this, this episode and this review is a personal message to you as you're listening to this, that God's in it. He's with you. Like he is, he wants to reach into your headphones and encourage you and in this this moment of grieving, maybe you've just lost a child or you're wrestling through some of this idea of miscarriage or infertility. And he's saying, hey, I see you, I love you, and I'm with you. Um, so I just take those things as very personal, right? You know? Yeah, absolutely. He's sovereign in all these details. Yeah. So if you if you would help us, um, if this has helped you, help us and, and go and rate and review the podcast. That helps a lot. And follow us on Instagram, Nothing Is Wasted Ministries. There's a lot of good stuff there. We'll put up some resources and different things up there for you um, as you're journeying with us in the Nothing Is Wasted community. And if you haven't subscribed to our email list, go ahead and just get on that. We've got some good stuff coming at you soon. Yes. All right. Let's jump into this interview with Nate Pyle. Nate, man, great to have you on the podcast. Hey, it's great to be here, Dave. Yeah. We actually get to do this in person. So nice. You hail from the same city, well, suburb, Fishers. Right, yeah, we are definitely a suburb. There's no getting around. I mean, we have Ikea, so we are absolutely a suburb. Bro, of course you're a suburb. You just got the Ikea, Top Golf, and, come on, uh, Portillo's. Portillo's, right. The way I say it is we are Box Store USA. If there is a box store, if there's a chain restaurant, we have it. It's there. Oh, my gosh. That 69 corridor that, you know, that interstate that goes up there, it's right. just madness. That's why I live on the, the other side of town. The, the other side of town, where we once in a while venture when we want to see some cornfields. I know, man. It's so great. So great. Well, man, it's awesome to have you here. I'm glad we get to do this in person and get to chat. I'm glad we share probably a lot of passions for the people of Indianapolis, but yeah. also for people who are hurting, who feel overwhelmed. And uh, you've just written a book about that. I'm really excited about getting my hands on that. I'm excited about what what is going to come out of it. But I'd love for you to just tell us first a little bit about you and your family, and then maybe some inspiration behind why you wrote this book. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I'll do the quick synopsis, synopsis going all the way back, and then I'll catch us up when it comes to family. My wife Sounds and I, great. we uh, met in college up at Hope College. There's my plug for that. Okay. Um, and then got married. Uh, I was a youth pastor for four and a half years up in Michigan. Um, and then while I was a youth pastor, I also went to seminary uh, and then finished up seminary, moved down here at the ripe old age of 28 to pastor a church nice. that I'm still pastoring. So that nice. was uh, almost 11 years ago. Uh, my wife and I, when we moved down, down here, uh, you know, at that point we said, Hey, now's the time to start a family. I'm out of school. We got the mm. pastor thing. We all of that. And so, 
you know, we do what couples do when they're trying to start a family. And it just <laughs> took a long time. It actually took us 14 months for us to ha- to get pregnant with our first son. And that was, you know, it was great and that's normal and yeah. all of that sort of stuff. But it does definitely feel like we live in a time in which that fee- that was super hard. Yeah. People around us, like it's just like they plan pregnancies to the month. Like right. this month we'll get pregnant so that when the baby is born, then we'll right. be in the summer or whatever. Of course, of course. Right. Yeah. So, but we just didn't have that experience. Um, and we were... When we found out we were pregnant with our with our first, um, we had just started infertility, like just trying to figure out what was going on. Mm. Uh, so then after he was born, we started, uh, well, okay, we're going to try to have kids, you know, another one. And we expected it to take a long time. And once it hit that 14, 15, 16 month thing, we're yeah. right back where we started. And so we started with, you know, getting the testing done. She, My wife was getting testing, Sarah, and then I was getting testing, trying to figure out like... I hate saying it like this, but yeah. whose issue is it, right? Yeah, and it's such right. a weird that way is, that they that talk hard, about yeah. it, but it, it, it but the, I just don't know. But anyways, that's what they were doing, and wow. and, um, and the doctors were just flummoxed. Like they were just like, we don't know what's going on. Uh, you know, according to everything we see, you guys should be getting pregnant. Mm-hmm. And and so uh, we did a couple of things, and we had made the decision early on not to do super invasive stuff. And you know, that's just our prerogative. It's not what we're saying for anybody else. Right. But we didn't want to do IVF or any of that. Um, but we did a few things, and. Uh, and my wife ended up getting pregnant one month, and uh, uh, this is really where the book kind of takes off. Is I was really excited. I was like, "Yes, we're pregnant. Here mm-hmm. it is." You know, it took a couple of years, but we're there. And she was very, very subdued about it right from the beginning, just unsure. And she's got she's got that like discernment thing going on where she <laughs> As walks. Most of our wives do, <laughs> right? Right. You know, she walked onto her college onto college campus and was like, "This is where I'm going to college." And she wow. literally had that moment when we first met of like, "Oh, this is the guy I'm going to marry." Like she just <laughs> she's got that gift, and I don't have that. I'm yeah. driven by other things. As most visionaries right, don't have right. that. <laughs> <laughs> so she she just right away was like, "Something's not right. This isn't right." Yeah. And. Um, we went and the, called the doctor and they did the testing and they were like, well, you are pregnant, but the hormone, like there's this one hormone that's not right. Mm. And the doctor called us into the office and, and uh, he said, this is indicative of what they call an ectopic pregnancy. So it's when the, you know, the, the, the baby doesn't get, is, is in the fallopian tubes, right? Oh, it doesn't wow. get planted in the uterus. And he said, the only thing we can do at this point is end the pregnancy. And we're like, well, wow. are you sure? And he was like, no, I'm, I'm, I can't be sure at this stage because, the, you know, it's too small to show up on an ultrasound yeah. or anything like that. Uh, we're just going off what the hormones say. And we just wow. said we, we can't end a pregnancy on a, well, maybe. A, or a this is, you know, like, or, like yeah. this is our best guess. Right, we just right. weren't comfortable with that. Wow. And so we decided were, to were wait. Were there it. like risks involved with that? With that yeah, with waiting, I mean, there, there is like if, if, you know, you wait too long, the fallopian tubes can rupture and then there yeah. could be some serious damage and it could, you know, uh, affect the ability to get pregnant in the future. Right. Like wow. it could just take that away or it could, you know, it might hamper it so that she only has one viable ovary. You yeah. know, there's all these things that can happen. And, and the worst one, of course, is death. Like they right. could internal bleeding and all that sort of stuff. But we just, we still just were like, we, we can't at this point do that. Wow. Um, so we went home and they gave us instructions. Like if there's a lot of cramping that starts happening, pain, bleeding, all of these types of things, then you have to come right back in and that's an emergency room. Like you're coming mm-hmm. right in. Um, so we went home and, and it was one of those, I think, I forget, I think it happened on a Tuesday and we were supposed to leave on Thursday to go to to Colorado and right. be with my family for my parents. My parents' birthdays are like what are they, 12 days apart? Yeah. And uh, we were going to do their 60th birthdays out in Colorado on a ski trip. And we had to cancel that and all of that sort of stuff. And we just went home and, and then it just became a waiting game. Like yeah. literally just waiting what's going to happen with yeah. this situation. And uh, uh, from there, uh, it was that weekend, I think it was a Saturday, um, that my wife started having the pain and, mm-hmm. and the bleeding and all that. We took her into the, the hospital and the ER room and uh, they... They ran some more tests and the hormone levels still were the, where they were before and hadn't come up the way they were supposed to. And um, they did another ultrasound and this time they could see something and they were mm. like, well, we have, we have to end this pregnancy. And it's, it's wow. this really weird thing. Like there's all this hope and all this joy surrounding pregnancy. And yeah. at that point, all that was neat, they just gave her a shot. They gave her wow. a shot and it just unrolls the whole thing. And wow. um and yeah, the, the pregnancy gets ended. And essentially what happens is the woman's body reabsorbs the, yeah. the cells. And wow. and so the way I kept thinking about it is like my wife's body is becoming the grave from this child. Wow. Right. You know, like, and that's kind of the way she felt about it. And, yep. and it was this really, 
that's where it really, I mean, it, it, everybody likes to compare their suffering, but I think that's yeah. such a fool's errand, yeah, right? Like suffering is suffering and pain is pain. And there's all this hope and all this joy and it comes collapsing down in right. that moment. And, and then I was left with these questions of like, here we've been praying and hoping for a baby for yeah. so long. Yeah. And, and, and then this happens and it's almost like, you know, God, are you giving us just, were you just getting our hopes up? Yeah. Do you do? Like, what, what is this? And, and for me as a pastor, it's like, I want to have the answers, <laughs> course, right? You know, right. and like when somebody else is going through this situation, I want to be able to sit there and hold their hand and offer yep. them a verse and pray for them and be able to offer something comforting. And I didn't... And in many cases you did. Like if somebody else had come into in this situation and you're a third party, you're their pastor, you would have had all the verses. Right, because there's this, this emotional have, distance that I'm able exactly. to have, so I'm much more objective. And and I just didn't have that. And wow. and I think compiled with that was the amount of waiting we had we had done at this mm-hmm. point and, and just the difficulty. Um you know, one of the things about infertility is it's, it's, it's this constant cycle of hope to meet, mm. you know, despair, not, and despair is not the right word, but, but dejection yeah. and, and letdown. Yeah. And, and so it's, it's a, it's a, it's a roller coaster you can't get off of. It's yeah. a 28 day roller coaster where at the beginning of it, you're hopeful. This is going to be the one we're going to do everything right. Like this is it. And then at the end of the 28 days, like you gotta, you just you're let down, and then right. you, do we get back on the roller coaster? Yeah, exactly. Do we do it all over again? Right. And that goes month after month after month wow. after month. It's really it. it there, I've never gone through anything like yeah, that. Absolutely. And it's really interesting the way that men and women process that. We talk when we talk. I about was just some, about to ask you that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In this whole the course of all of this between you and your wife, I'm sure there are differences in the way that you processed it. Absolutely. Try to enlighten me on this because we've got a lot of folks who are listening to this podcast. I mean a large percentage of them are women. And so yep. they've many of them have probably experienced the same thing. Right. Give us some insight into how your wife was processing this as much as you can. Give us some insight into how you're processing it, how you're trying to help her, totally. how she's trying to help you, all of that. Yeah, as much as you can, right? Because <laughs> what, what's so different about infertility is for the woman, and this is the conversation Sarah and I had, for, it's happening in her body, Yeah. right? And there's this sense of of ownership of the fact that it's happening in my body yeah. and a sense of responsibility that it's happening right. in my body. I mean, even with the ectopic pregnancy, I remember when we were driving to the hospital and we knew what was going to happen. We, we knew we were going to have to end this pregnancy. And I was holding Sarah's hand and she was crying and she looked over at me and she said, I'm sorry. Mm. I'm like, what are you sorry for? And she's like, well, this is like, my body isn't working right. Wow. Right. And so there's, I think there's that sense of like, this is happening not just to me, but yeah. in me. Yeah. And, uh, and so, and, and that roller coaster, right? All of those signs are much more present to the woman. Yeah. She knows, you know, what's happening with her body and what part of the cycle she's in. Like she can just feel that. It's, right. it's very much where she is. And so that's that. For, for me as a guy, I always felt like a little bit of an outsider. Like obviously I'm a participant. Right. I don't need to go into more detail about right. that. But I'm right. a participant, but I'm not. <laughs> if you're not sure what he's talking about, you can email our audio engineer, Tommy Travis. I'm just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> go back to seventh grade. It's <laughs> science. Uh, but it, uh, yeah, so like I'm a participant in it, but I'm also sort of this outside observer where I'm checking in with her. Like, yeah. hey, any news? Where are you in the month? Like all right. of that sort of stuff. And then also as a guy, I think there's this desire or a natural proclivity to want to fix things. Right. Like, yeah. you know, the, the dishwasher breaks and I'm going to sit on YouTube all afternoon to find the right <laughs> video in order to fix it. Yeah. But with this, I can't. Yeah. I'm totally, my hands are tied. Um, and, and so I felt somewhat like a passive observer to this major thing that was going on in right. our life. Right. Um, yeah. So I think that's, I think that that's very different than, than a lot of other things. Yeah. How would, how would you advise, you know, especially on this side of things, how would you advise a husband to be sensitive to his wife's uh, emotions in that, in that instance, you know, and walk beside her in that, no matter who's like what you referred to earlier, no matter whose quote unquote issue it is. Right. What, what were some things that you kind of took away from that? You know, you already mentioned that you want to fix it, but you can't. Right. Which is probably the result of a lot of our, you know, marital arguments as a guy trying to fix it. And he can't. <laughs> but, you know, if you're talking man to man to a guy who's going through the same thing, he comes to you as a pastor. He goes, Nate, I know that you 
I know that you've gone through the same thing. Mm -hmm. I'm struggling with this with my wife. How do I be there for her? How do I help her through this, not feel more weight than she already feels? Yeah, I think part of it is just asking the simple question of what do you what do you need, right? Because every woman's Mm going to need something different. Some are going to want to talk about it and and flesh those emotions out every single month. Yeah. And others are are not going to want to talk about it. I know Mm -hmm. for Sarah one of the things she asked me to not do was to not ask her where she was in the cycle. Mm. She just wanted just to let that go and right. to try not to to get her hopes up like, oh, right. it should have happened, you know, like I'm a day late or whatever. Like yeah. she didn't want it, she didn't want to give voice to that. She didn't even want to as much as she could acknowledge that. Right. She just wanted to have some distance. And so I think for for us as guys, it really is asking our spouses, like, what is it that you need from yep. me? What is it you want from me? And then, and then honoring right. that, right, right, and 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 not looking at it as she's being emotional or she's being impractical mm. or I better do something different. Like, I think we have to honor that, and then find the outlet of if whatever she wants or needs runs contrary to what I want yeah. or need, like. Yeah then I've got to find a way to deal with that. So maybe that's discussing it with some of my other friends, uh, finding a place where I can get an outlet of that energy or whatever it might be. I think that we've got to figure that out as well. Wow. So you guys, you know, you you end up terminating the pregnancy. Yeah, we we ended up terminating the pregnancy. Um, And what happened from there? Yeah, so there's a, I mean, just from the strictly physical standpoint, we had to put it, trying for another baby on hold um, just because the woman's body needs time to recover and the doctors and they want to make sure everything's all right and all of that sort of stuff. Uh, But we just needed some emotional distance from it as well. Like just to let that ground lay fallow sort of and and not ride the roller coaster anymore. Um, And so Mm. we took about six months and then... um, and then we really just started praying about, God, what's your plan for our family? And are we done? And do we need to accept that? Because we were dealing with a sense of like, we have one child and that's great right. and right. we love him, but there was this incompleteness that we felt. Mm. And so do we continue to try for adding a child you know, in the more traditional manner, or do we start pursuing adoption, which is something we had talked about, but always assumed like, okay, we'll have our 2.5 kids and then we'll adopt another one. Well, because you live in the suburbs. We live live (laughs) in suburbia USA. So, uh, yeah, that, that's kind of the, was the plan. And, um, we began to pursue adoption at that point. Yeah, but it was about six months later or so. Um, you know, we went and had conversations with the different adoption agencies, mostly here in Indy. Um, picked one that we liked, that we felt comfortable with. It was a little bit of a smaller agency, so we knew that it was going to take longer. Yeah. Um, but uh, we really liked the the caseworker, the social worker that we would be working with, and right. so we signed on with them and uh, began the waiting process. And they say that for adoptions, it's usually you know average average span for a domestic. We were going to do domestic, okay. not international. Um, and for a domestic adoption, about 18 months is what it was normally right. normal waiting right. period. And so we did that. And uh, so now you're you're on the waiting list. We're on the waiting again, list again. You're back into this waiting game. All yeah, right, so back in the waiting game. Let's pause on that part right there yeah, yeah. because I want to I want to flesh out a little bit more of some of the. Sounds like there was some emotional healing that had to take place as you mm-hmm. guys were sorting through this. And as a pastor, I know you've already articulated this. You're kind of trying to think about theologically. Yeah. How do I how do I wrestle with all of no, this that yeah. has transpired? Yeah. So you know, I, I'm sure you've heard this phrase, and maybe you even talk about this in the book. I haven't read it yet, so I don't know. But <laughs> the phrase that people will say in all of their, you know, they have such great intentions, but like, God will never put on you more than you can handle. That that's where the book title what? comes from. Like, what? No How'd you figure that? I kind of figured that when I <laughs> when I saw the book title, I'm like, I bet he addresses this. Yeah, that's talk to one. me. <laughs> talk to me about that a little bit as yeah. you're as you're fleshing this out from a, a head knowledge theology type thing. How are you getting your theology to kind of wrap around or your your heart to wrap around your theology and vice versa? Right, right. So there's a couple of different things. Number one, you know. Uh, you're right. People throw that phrase out mm-hmm. with the best of intentions. Mm-hmm. The problem is, is that in most situations when they say that, it's actually true that we can't handle it, right? <laughs> so if someone were to say, oh, well, that was, you know, God won't give you more than you can handle. Well, actually, no, there's nothing about fertility that I can handle, right? right? There's nothing I can control. There's nothing yeah. I can manipulate. There's nothing that I can, I mean, outside of the, like, one thing I can do, there's nothing else I can do, <laughs> right? It's just right. what it is. right? And so there's that. And, and then... 
the the emotions that I was feeling. Yeah. Um, I think I think if we can get to the place where we are honest about the full scope of our emotions, mm-hmm. there are times in which our emotions are more than we can handle. Exactly. They they, yeah. they, they overwhelm us. They they begin to dominate everything that they, they dominate the way we see the world, the way that we interact with others, and right. and, and to try to control them is you know trying to play the dutch boy and stick his fingers in the dam and stop all the leaks they just come out other it comes out in other places yep, right and yep. so and so it's just it's it it's a, our emotions are more than we can handle and then even my understandings of god mm-hmm. right so the i had this moment where it was a couple of days after we ended the pregnancy i needed to just get out of the house mm. and my in-laws were in town helping with our son and taking care of my wife um and, and so I just, I went out and I walked in the woods, Yeah. right? And, and I was kind of walking and kind of praying and it was just this weird, like the surroundings, it was winter at the time, it was cold, it, like, it felt like what I felt like right. inside. Right. And at one point I, I dove off the trail, like I just, I started going off trail, wandering through the woods, pushing through brush, all of this sort of stuff. And then I just stopped and I yelled at the sky. I literally had the yelling at the sky moment. I said, you say that you knit us together in our mother's womb and this child didn't even make it into the womb. That's on you. Wow. Right. Like, wow. That, like my, I have all the Bible. Yep. I got all the theology. Yep. But then like that in the space of the reality of the way God works in the world. Yeah. Like, I just know what to do Doesn't with that. Doesn't make sense. Right. And you almost, man, and I don't know if you felt this way, but you almost, I'm sure a lot of people f- would feel kind of guilty for saying something like, that's on you, God. You right. know, this like rage of emotion, this right. like discontent, this like righteous, it feels very righteous, this righteous Absolutely. angst. Why, like in that moment right there, what did that feel like to you? Oh, it actually felt relief. Yeah. Like yeah. I brought <clears throat> in that, mo- that moment was one of the more authentic moments in my relationship <sighs> with God. That's so good. Right. It, I brought all of who I was, right? All of what I was feeling, right? To all of who God was, who God is, and right. said, "All right, like, what do we do with this?" Love it. And I do think there is this: we can feel guilt and we can be feel shame because there are some of us have heard the message that we can't ever be angry with exactly. God. Exactly. Yeah. But if we believe that God is sovereign mm. and is con- in control and has the power, right. right? He's omnipotent, and God can do whatever God wants to do. Right. And for whatever reason, God allows something to happen. I'm not going to say that God, I, I, I don't buy into the theology that says like God causes, C- causes or, evil or right, malintent. Yeah, exactly. Or, like, right. For sure. But, he, but for sure, God has the power to stop it and allows it. That's right. Yeah. And so if that's true, then the only, the only place I can bring my frustrations and my pain and my anger yeah. is to God. And it's actually is, is somewhat right to direct it at yeah. God mm-hmm. because there's this sense in which we say, God, I... I know that you're sovereign. I know you can stop. I know you can heal. I know you can do this. And yet you haven't. Right. And you've promised that you will heal. And you've promised that you will restore. Right. And you promised that you will dry every tear from every eye. Yep. And yet you haven't. Yep. And your unfulfilled promise is actually on you. Mm. And I'm, I'll, I'm, not, I'm not walking away from you. I'm <laughs> right. not abandoning you. Right. But I'm, I'm saying I trust your promises so much that I expect that they're going to be fulfilled. Yeah. Now, I don't understand the time, and I don't know when that time is, and I, your ways are higher than my way and all of that. <laughs> but right now, it's on you that this yeah. pain exists. That's so good. We say often that God always intervenes, but he doesn't always intervene to prevent. He right. always intervenes to produce. Yeah. He's going to produce something out of all of our pain and all of our suffering. Scripture says that um, this light and momentary affliction... Mm-hmm. Although, if we're honest, doesn't feel light and momentary feel at very, all, or light. <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly. So, so this, but it says this light and momentary affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory right. that is beyond compare. And so, it is always producing something in us, producing something for us, producing something around us. Uh, which I can't help but think of the irony of that when it comes to reproduction yeah, in this yeah, right. particular story. But I also think you're exactly right. We we have this guilt that we feel because of maybe poor teaching and our upbringing about God. God or yep. this this false view of who God is, that for whatever reason, it's not okay to push back on God, get angry with him. And yet you look at the Psalms and you see David, right. he's getting pretty angry at God. Right. He's like, why are you not defending me here, God? Yes. Why are you not? My, my enemies are coming against me and you are not, what is going on? Yeah. You know, you need to do that. Break the teeth of my enemies. You right. know, like he's really honest. There's this, there's this part in Job where Job says, 
I, I stand here and cry out to you and yeah. all you do is look at me. Wow. Like, I, I mean, I think so many of us have felt that experience, but to actually give voice to that. Yes. And I think what happens sometimes is we get the teachings of, okay, yeah, 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 Job went through that. But in the end, like God changed Job's <laughs> mind. And I just want to say, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, jo- but Job had to go through a process. He had to, yeah. And that process bore more intimacy with God. That's like, great. He gets to say, I saw God. That's like, great. I see him now. Yep. Like, but what we want to do is we want people to jump from... The the moment where we're sitting in yep. you know ash you know and we're right. torn we're sitting yeah. in ashes, and then the next moment we're in intimacy with God, and right. we want to take out the forty one chapters that happened in between there, right. and say like, well that that experience, Job had that experience to be a warning that you shouldn't be angry at wow. God, or Job had that experience so you don't have to have that experience. I'm like, no no no, no. I think Job was actually a model yeah. showing us that that's what like it's okay to have that, and God yep. won't abandon us. And, he, and and the other thing with Job. He won't necessarily give us an explanation, mm. but God will meet us. Right. And that's, you got to be in that place right. though for God to meet he, us. Yeah. I, he won't give us an explanation as to why this is happening, but nope. he will give us a, a fuller vision and clarity as to who he is. Yes. And that's what he does with Job. At the end of the book, he's like, hey, yeah. were you there when I hung Orion? Right. Were you there? Like, let me remind you who I am here Yeah. and remind you that this is going to put you at ease that I'm in control of all of this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I have your best interest at heart, Job. I love it. You know, Job says, I know my Redeemer lives. Mm-hmm. Well, how does he know? How does he know that he's talking to a living God? Right. Well, he pushed back on the living God. Yep. He actually entered into a very real relationship and yep. intimacy with the living God and yep. went through that process. Yep. And, and, I, and I think you're right. It's not, this process was not put in there by accident in scripture, in the canonization of our scripture. Right. David's wrestlings with God, Jacob wrestling with God, yep. you know, that happens to be kind of the, 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 the pivotal moment for the people of Israel, the namesake of Jacob being mm-hmm. turned to Israel. This is how we're defined mm-hmm. is people that, that strive with or wrestle with God. Yeah. This is something that God endorses. Right. This is something he says, do it. Yes. Come on. Right. There's, there's this idea that we have that struggle uh, isn't... struggle is a sign that something is wrong, whether it's a struggle through suffering or a struggle Mm. through pain or whatever it might be. Right. But if you actually think about it, like, like the major people, the, the, the heroes of our faith, whether that be Jacob, as you just said, or Job, or even Jesus himself, like they all have these moments in which they wrestle, right. Where they, they struggle against the world as it is. And then, you know, and then trying to figure out like, God, what's going on in here and what does it mean to follow you and how hard is it to follow you and all of that sort of stuff. And, and I think we even apply that to the garden where we say, well, there's no struggle in the garden. Well, actually, there is struggle in the garden because <laughs> yep. both there was work to do, yeah. right? And, and, and there was this becoming that was happening. Mm. Like things weren't complete. It wasn't settled. And so right. there's always this struggle to become something. And so now we live in a world where there is suffering and there is pain of the negative kind. Yeah, it's working and against us now. It's working against yeah. us. And, but that struggle still exists. Like, right. And now, now we can't... Like we got to name the animals in the garden, yeah. right? We got, we got to work the ground and there was no thorns or any of that sort of stuff. And so our work and the struggle that we had in the garden immediately produced good results. Yeah. Now outside of the garden, like there's sin and all of that stuff gets tainted and we need somebody from the outside to come in and move that struggle towards mm. something redemptive and restorative. Mm-hmm. And that's what God is doing. And and that's that's been the experience of us. But again, I don't think you realize you can know all, I'll say it like this. You can know all that theology before yeah. you get into the moment. Right. But it's in the moment where it becomes real. That's it. And, 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 and I, I truly believe this. Like we, I live in the suburbs and you can have a very suburban faith, mm. but you don't really know what your faith is made of until you walk through darkness. Yeah. That's so good. So, wow. Wow. Hey, I want to push pause on this interview for just a second and tell you about an incredible opportunity if you are a leader or a pastor in the Midwest area. And even if you're not in the Midwest area and you want to come in for this unbelievable event, 
with an incredible guy that you as a Nothing Is Wasted listener would know very well. His name is Ken Roberts. And you can go and listen to our episode with him. It's episode number 29, and it has been one of our most listened to and one of our best episodes. I'm telling you, this guy has an incredible story, and he has been an incredible coach and mentor in my life as we've worked through several transitions and working through the tragedy and the loss of my late wife, Amanda, as well as trying to figure out how to, how to lead and transition and move into what he calls convergence in a leader's life. And so he's holding a workshop, partnering up with the Heartland District team of Foursquare Denomination. And uh, this workshop is for leaders, for pastors, for nonprofit leaders. It's called the Leaders Advance Workshop, a one-day event for pastors and Christian leaders. And it's coming to four different cities in the Midwest. So Indianapolis on March 19th, the Quad Cities on March 21st, Cedar Rapids, March 26th, Minneapolis, March 28th. And he's gonna be talking about all kinds of stuff. Um, in fact, there's several topics he's, he's introducing here. Eight indicators you've possibly plateaued, five growth barriers that could be holding you back, successfully navigating through the most critical stage in the life of a leader. And uh, for those of you guys who are kind of well advanced in your leadership experience, third quarter convergence, setting yourself up for a fruitful and fulfilling finish. I promise if you're in one of these areas, you don't want to miss this leadership advance. My plan is to be there for the Indianapolis one. I'm excited about hanging out with Ken, hearing the wisdom from him and his team. If you want to register for this, you can go to hd4square. That's F-O-U-R hd4square.com. Register for this and check out more about Ken Roberts at kenlroberts.com. Go back and listen to that episode and you will hear wisdom oozing from this guy. You won't want to miss these events. So make sure you register and show up for this Leaders Advance Workshop. I really love this concept that you you introduced. You may not even know that you introduced this, but you said you said um, uh, fallow ground, yeah. Which the opposite of that would be furlow ground, right? right. Yeah. So you've got ground that's like that's laid fallow mm-hmm. at a resting point, but but typically in agricultural world, I mean, we're in Indiana, so hello, yeah, you, you know, we got it right. There is a fallow ground that mm-hmm. is laid at rest for a season, yeah. but it's actually in order to make the ground more furlow, yeah in order for it to be a richer soil to produce. Mm-hmm. So as you guys were laying in this fallow ground, this waiting period, mm-hmm. God was producing some soil. Talk to me a little bit about what, is, what started to come out of that, the continuation of the story. You're waiting for adoption. Yep. Well, I mean, even our waiting for adoption, it took probably three and a half years, four years. Mm-hmm. So it's 18 months is like the average. Wow. And at 18 months, we met with our social worker from the adoption agency, and she was just like, you know, we actually haven't done an adoption in an over a year. Wow. We're just like, wait, what is What's this? What's going on? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, that actually started something in, like, she came and met with us, and then it was right before Thanksgiving weekend, and we went up to my family's for Thanksgiving weekend, and my wife was just off all weekend. Mm-hmm. I could just tell something was wrong. And she actually, uh, she never had a, she, it was like anxiety attacks and actually mm-hmm. for the first time in her life really su- suffered from anxiety on a, like on a clinical level, um, and, and some depression stuff. And we, I mean, just some horrible nights. I mean, she would, she would have more medication in her and sed- sedatives and still would be up for multiple nights in a row because she was wow. her body was just so white and it's like adrenaline coursing through. I could see her, like uh, you know, being unable to sit still because wow. she was so uh, hyped up on adrenaline and all of this stuff. Um, and so that then was another like that led us down another six to nine months of just trying to figure out how to get her back to to normal. And there was wow. this some real wondering within me of like, is this our new normal? Mm. You know, of me not just taking care of my son, but now taking care of my wife who is is dealing with all this other stuff and this Man. mental illness stuff. And so that was a, that was another whole piece of that, which was really, again, dark and hard. And yeah. you know, had to go to the elders in my church and be like, here's what's going on. And yeah. I'm going to continue to show up and 
preach, but for the next couple of weeks, I'm going to need some grace as I Man. really take care of what's going on. I was at about home to ask family. you that how your church handled that. You know, and my church, my church was yeah, spectacular. They were great. spectacular about our ectopic pregnancy. They gave us space. They, you know, brought in other people to preach yeah. so I could have a couple of weeks. I mean, even just the ministry of meals was spectacular. Wow. People bringing over food and all of that sort of stuff. Man. And then, and then with this. Um, you know, we didn't share everything right away, but I shared it with my elders and they, you know, right away prayed for me and prayed for her and were checking in with us and gave me the space to be able to, to help her that I needed, yeah. uh, which was, it was a huge blessing. Yeah. It was a huge blessing. Um, especially when it comes to, you know, anxiety as a mental illness, yeah. right? Cause we, you know, do not be anxious in anything. Well, this right. is a different kind of anxiety, yeah. right? It's not like worrying about, you know. Uh, what's going to happen tomorrow yeah. and whatever. This is, is something that's completely different. Right. So, um, yeah, they were, they were really, really good about that. And um, right about the time we trying to piece all the timeline together, but right about the time we got that together, we got the, uh, we started working with another, it was actually a consulting agency out of Atlanta of all places for mm-hmm. the adoption. Um, and uh, we ended up getting a call uh, on a Sunday night uh, in January this would be, I got to do the math here, three years ago. Mm. And uh, they said, you've been, adu- you've been matched with uh, a, a, a child uh, scheduled to be born in February. Wow. And uh, what, was, what was interesting about that phone call, they said, but we need you to know that it's, uh, it's going to be a boy and it's going to be black. Are you okay mm. with that? And we're like, yeah, uh, of course. Why? why wouldn't we? <laughs> yeah, right. Like, yeah. But the reason is because the birth mother actually had chosen another family. Mm. And when they found out it was going to be a black boy, Wow. They said they changed minds and like, no, we can't do that, which was a really interesting wow. thing. And so we, we got that phone call and we said, yeah, you know, absolutely. We're in. There's like n- no, no thing. And it was in an interesting deal for us because um, you can't see me, but I'm white. Yeah. <laughs> You're pretty white. Man. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty a, white. Go ahead and tell you that. Yeah. <laughs> and... Uh, and it was the day before Martin Luther King Jr. Day. So the next day was Martin Luther King Jr. And wow. so I woke up the next morning going like, I'm going to be the father of a black boy. Yeah. Like this, this changes everything. Yeah. And it began to open me up even to like, okay, I have a five-year-old white son and then I'm going to have a black son. Wow. And just facing the reality, like these two kids are going to have two very different experiences of wow. the world. Right. Wow. And so that opened my eyes to a whole nother like kind of suffering, this idea of suffering by a people. Right. Yeah. So so often we think about individual suffering, like I'm suffering because I'm going through this, we lost a job, or a spouse died, or somebody got cancer, wow. or whatever like that. But now all of a sudden I'm like, I'm opened up to this reality of like there's a whole group of people who have a very different experience when they get pulled over by the police than I do. Yeah. There's a whole new group of people who have a very different experience about what they think about what it means to be an American. Yeah. Right. So there's like all of this that's going on, and I'm just like Oh my goodness! Whoa. Like, what do we do with this? Well, how do we how do we walk our child through this in a healthy manner? How yeah. do I teach my my five year old? You know, at at the appropriate times of like, hey, your sibling could be hearing these kinds of things being said about them. Yeah. Or th- what other people like? There's you know, all these different conversations that I'm never gonna have to have that I never thought I'd have, but now all of a sudden it's becoming a reality for right. me. Right. Um. So when Man. you think about suffering and 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 pain and frustration, like. All of a sudden, now I think about it from from a communal standpoint, yeah, which is different. Yeah, wow. Yeah. So you got several of these different experiences. Let's back up a yeah, little bit. Yeah, this is all like all I layered know. in on top of one another. Well, I mean, it is once they start compounding, and then you know, of course, God will never give you more than what you can handle. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but maybe I need to flesh that out a little more, Davey. Uh, <laughs> no, you don't need to at all. I'm, I say that with, you know with chagrin. Um, but um, but I want to talk about this anxiety thing a little yeah. bit because something you said really triggered me that there was this different kind of anxiety that you, mm-hmm. your wife was experiencing. This was not the kind of like what you said, be anxious for nothing, you know, yeah. but in all things through prayer and petition, present your requests to God. That's what scripture says. And, you know, that's such a, that's such a truth and that's such a helpful thing when it comes to worry and, you know, yeah. kind of your, your normal um, worry of everyday life. But, but tell me, what is the, what's the difference between what your wife was experiencing yeah. and what you guys were walking through and that, and how have you fleshed that out when it comes to even teaching your people, if you have mm-hmm. yet, teaching your people like, um, or your congregation, what, what it looks like to wrestle with, with anxiety right. and worry? Because we have so, I mean, this today in our culture, we are um, the most affluent we've ever been, the mm-hmm. most informed we've ever been, most right. educated we've ever been, right. and yet we're the most anxious and depressed we've ever been. Right, right. 
So there's a lot of people who are dealing with this. Totally. There's a lot of people who are dealing with it and, and you know, there's different ways in which it gets triggered in people. I, when, when I think about what scripture has to say about, you know, do not be anxious in anything, what I'm hearing in that is, you know, don't, don't be worrying about the particulars of your life. You right. know, don't, don't get caught up in, you know, what college I should go to or what job I should mm. take or who I should marry. Uh, don't be anxious about the things that are outside of your control, right? Yeah. Like I'm going to send my kid mm. off to school. What's going to happen to them? You know, uh, all mm. of that sort of stuff. Like we can worry ourselves to death about all of those yeah. things, but that, you know, in that kind of, that kind of anxiety, uh, we can hand that over to the Lord. We can right. trust that he's right. going to, he's going to, he's going to do something. And even if it, even if things go dark, right. Yeah. Even if they break bad, that God's going to restore, mm. that God's going to redeem. I think this kind of anxiety, it really is. And not to get to all the scientific and stuff, there is this chemical imbalance. Mm. Like from my wife, what it was, what she explained it as, as thinking about getting up and giving it, not Davey and I probably don't have this as much, but getting up in front of people and giving a speech, right? And talking <laughs> and you get your heart yeah. palpitations, yeah. your hands are sweating and you got the butterflies going on in your stomach. It's like that, but 24 seven, right? All wow. the time, not being able to shut it down. And what I also called it was a spiral, right? Yeah. So there was a thing that started it of, uh, is this adoption ever going to happen? Mm. Are we ever going to add to our family? Is God ever going to answer this prayer? Right? Feeling kind of trapped. Right. Like Feeling things very, are closed in. You have no way out. Yep, yep, yep. Yeah. And then from there, it spirals out to, you know, at least for, for my wife of like, am I a good mother? And is mm. this not happening because I'm a bad, because I'm a bad mother? Oh, am I wow. not being able, am I a good spouse? Am I not a good, you know, am I not fulfilling my duties as a spouse? Am I not loving wow. my husband enough? Am I not doing this? To then, oh my goodness, I can't get myself out of these thoughts. Am I always going to have my thought, these mm. kind of thoughts? If I'm always going to have these thoughts what does that mean for my son what does that mean for nate my husband what does this mean for this and it just kept it spiraled out of control where she wow. could she literally could not stop her brain and it was keeping her up at night wow. which then even you know we all have that you wake up in the middle of the night and you, you look at the clock it's yeah. like two you're and like, you're like all right and then you look at the three okay if i fall asleep now then i'll get three more hours <laughs> of sleep you right you play that game yeah. but it was like Every single, it was that feeling all the time. Am right. I ever going? It wasn't just right. like, am I going to sleep tonight? Am I going to sleep ever again? Right. When you're pushing into the third and fourth night of no sleep. Like, so it's just, it was, it was very, very different. And to be completely transparent, we talked with a number of different doctors here. And between the, all the medications that my wife was on, they were mm -hmm. like, yeah, y y you should be sleeping right now. Mm. Like you should be tranquilized. Wow. And, and she was like sitting there with her leg bouncing because she had this like nervous energy she couldn't control, wow. right? Like yeah. that, again, it's that much adrenaline coursing through her body. Um, and so we, we did, I mean, we did not pray. We prayed. Yeah. We were right. praying all the time at that point. Um, but it was, it was coupling that prayer with, with medicine and doctors yeah. and coupling that care with counseling and getting her into mm -hmm. counseling and finding a place for her to unload those emotions and, mm -hmm. and not shying away from medicine, but actually saying, okay, we need this medicine for this period of time to try yep. to balance everything out and get it into control. Uh, and then when the lies would spark back up, we begin to combat those with scripture about who she is and her identity mm -hmm. in Christ and how God sees her and the promises that he's given to her and yeah. my responsibilities as a husband and the commitment I made, like all of that, right? right There's this right. confluence of all of these different things coming in to try to care for her in that period of time. Um, and like I said, it, it, it wasn't days or weeks. It was months wow. to try to get that back. Wow. Yeah. What were some of those things that she realized were ways for her to create like an, um, an outlet for this? You mentioned that in there, you mm -hmm. know, as far as one of the components, cause you're right. It's so such a, when you're, when you're walking through that, it, it, the the treatment, so to speak, right. has to be multiple things mm -hmm. um, in order for that to to find healing. But but I'm curious because this is more individualized for everybody. What did she find that was like? How do I create an outlet for these emotions? How do I kind of work these out right. in a healthy way outside of counseling, understanding God's promises and truth for my life and medication? Yeah, I think uh, she started exercising on a more regular basis. Okay. Um, for her, that that became a really big thing. But that's actually connected to the, she learned how to ask for what she needed, mm. right? I think mom's wow. and mom guilt. Yeah. I got to be all things that's and great. I don't want to put extra pressure on my spouse or on my kids. That's and so great. I've got to be the strong one. And actually her learning to say, uh, the kids are driving me crazy yeah. this week and I need to go to yoga I on need Friday morning. Right? Yeah. Like that. That's so good, Nate, because I think I think more moms need to hear that. Yeah. Because I, I think there's a large majority of moms who just have this heart 
to like, hey, you know what? I've just got to sacrifice everything yep. for my husband, for my kids, and it's coming from a great intention. Right. But they're not healthy. Right. You know, they need that outlet, and they and they and they have trouble if they recognize their needs. They have trouble expressing them. Some of them don't even know they have needs because they put all those right. to bed yep. on the altar of, you know, making making sure everybody else's needs is taken care of. That's totally and 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 to to whether that's exercise. I mean, she's gotten good about saying. I mean, it's, it's written into our schedule now. On Friday mornings, she yeah. goes and she exercises because that's my day off. So I take the kids and she goes out and exercises. Uh, her getting comfortable saying, "I'd like to go out with some girlfriends this Great. weekend." Yeah. You know, in May she's scheduling a time away with her her sister and her mom and, you know, just like scheduling that stuff, asking for what she needed has been huge because part of that is then to ask for what you need. You also need to know where you're lacking, right? This is where I'm hurting. This is where pain is. This is, this is where I need to rest, you know, Mm -hmm. like, so asking for what you need isn't selfish in any manner. It's actually saying this is something that's, that's not it's, that's broken yeah. or it's not workable or whatever, and I need this thing in order to fix it. So that's great. So that helped her to pay attention to her emotions, so that it didn't get to the point where things were falling off the wow. rails. Wow, that's fantastic. Well, that, those are some incredible tools for people as they're working through some of this stuff. You know, again, just to reiterate, um, you know, I love the approach that you guys took with medication. It's like don't don't over spiritualize it and shy away from it. No, if it if it's needed to help for a season to balance, right do it, you know? And then, um, that's one of, one of the things my counselor, what he does for a lot of people is that he puts people on medication. He's a psychiatrist, biblical psychiatrist. So he knows and understands the, the difference between like, what is this? Okay. Is this spiritual? Is this physical? Is this what, and, and let's kind of balance you out here so that we can begin to have a right, uh, soil of the heart so that you can experience and receive spiritual truth. Yep. And we can then titrate you back off of this medication so there's not this dependence that, you know, happens on it. Yep. And then all the while coupling that with other great things, you yeah. know. Yeah, but she did counseling so for much that same way to attend to her heart. And, yeah. And, and that's what led to the being able to ask for what she needs and paying attention to what even happens before that. So, that's really great. Uh, yeah. Have you seen any, so right now your, your adopted son, he's three. Oh, so the, the story. All right, here we go. Let's see yeah, so, more stories. I love it. So we get the call <laughs> that the birth mother is going into labor. And so we start scrambling. Our son had already left for school. This was a Friday. Son yeah. had already left for school. We call my parents. They came down uh, so they could pick, so they could stay with him. Then we had to drive to Florida. Right. Um, and then about two hours after we got the phone call that the birth mother was in labor, we get the phone call. And I literally just hear my wife screaming, what? What? Like, how does that happen? Uh, it wasn't a boy. It was a girl. So... Two ultrasounds what? confirmed that it was a boy. Oh my! And I don't gosh. know how you see something you in see an ultrasound that's, that's not there. there. Right? Exactly. Hmm. That's that's the thing. And so okay. uh, we got yeah. So we ended up adopting a little little girl. Yeah. Wow! She's this beautiful little girl. That is amazing. Yeah. So I mean, we, which was it was one of those things like all of a sudden like for the last four and a half years, yeah. right? Like our house had been, it's not to say without joy, like we absolutely had moments of joy in our house, right. but we also had all these moments of struggle and these things that had happened. And then all of a sudden, like, the way I describe it in our book is like, like couples at their wedding who are smashing cake into each other's faces <laughs> have nothing on us in this uh, moment as we're like, we don't even have a name picked out because <laughs> it was going to be a boy. And so we've got to pick out a name. And my wife was like, I don't even have any clothes. And so like one of the things she wow. did that day was run over to Target and just find some girl baby clothes. That's right? And, and it was so like, the, like all of a sudden, all of this that joy just unleashed wow. in our household. And so, yeah, wow. uh, we drove down, uh, which even that though, I, I have to say this, because adoption is such a unique thing. It's beautiful and it's wonderful, but mm. it is it comes from an imperfect world, mm. right? And so we became very present to the reality as we were driving down to adopt our daughter, the daughter we had been waiting for and praying for and hoping for, and, and, and our hearts just bursting with all this joy. I had this moment where we were driving. I think we were in Georgia. And I look over to my wife and she's looking out the window and she's crying. Wow. I was like, what, what's going on, babe? And she said, I just can't help thinking about the birth mother mm. because on the other side of our joy is someone else's grief. Wow. Like one of the most joyous, happiest, bliss-filled moments of our life is going to be met with a, by the grief and the heartbreak mm. of a mother who's carried her child for nine months mm. walking out of a hospital without it. Wow. And so 
there's, you know, this is where I think suffering is the thing that unites all of us as human beings. Yeah. Like we could try to compare our suffering and say like, oh, you know, you've gone through more than I have, or my suffering's not as bad as this person's over here. But the reality is, is that the, that, that whatever pain that we're experiencing, whatever circumstances that are weighing us down and holding us back and that aren't the way that they're supposed to be, yeah. uh, those emotions connected with that are something we all feel mm. like we know grief and and we've never left the child at the hospital and, and handed right. them over to another parent, right. but we know what it is to grieve and we know what it is to feel lost and to see hopes and dreams go away. Um, and so in that we can have compassion and empathy towards that birth mother, mm-hmm. maybe not perfectly, but, but we, we can acknowledge that. And so I think that's just the way that the world works. Like even so, so for me, I looked at, that moment, right, where our joy is on the other side of the coin of her grief. Yeah. And I can't help but think like, that's the same thing with our salvation, right? Like right. our Ooh. joy of salvation is on the other other side of the coin of Jesus' wow. grief. Wow. Father, forgive them for what they know, not yeah. what they do. Right? Man. Those things, like the joy and the pain are inseparable in yep. some ways. Yep. Um, yeah. So, and they fit together. We talk about this so often on the podcast as people are coming in and sharing their stories is that the only way that you do experience true joy is by experiencing the depths right. of suffering. Right. You know, you, right. The, there's that life is full of really difficult things and you've got to dive into that suffering and right. feel it and, and yell at God and be mad at him right. and do all of those things and run into it, lean into it really hard. If you're going to not numb those emotions because right. right. grief, emotions and joy, emotions come from the same place. Yeah. 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 Right. And you so can't pick and choose which emotions you can numb. You cannot, you cannot. And so you've got to, Lean into all of that yeah. and know that though weeping may tarry through the night, joy comes in the morning. Right, right, right. And there's going to be something beautiful on the other side of this that I'm also going to feel this, this right. tremendous sense of joy right. on the flip side of the coin. Well, and if we, live, if we really believe in like the Beatitudes, right? Blessed are, the, right. Blessed are those who mourn, right? It's not just right. joy that comes in the morning, the morning where the sun rises. Yeah. <laughs> it's joy that comes in the morning. Oh, you. you. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Joy comes in the morning. It's great. Like, there's something like that feels so wrong to say, but that's actually what I think Jesus is getting at in yes. the Beatitudes. Yes. And so we, Jesus promises that he's going to give us life and life abundantly, right? Yeah. The full life, the whole life. Right. The, the life, if I can, that's more than we can handle. Yeah. But that includes not just the good, right? I think that's the American triumphal religion that we want, yeah. that the abundant life that Jesus is going to give us is going to get everything that we want and, and, mm-hmm. and we're going to be spared the pain and the difficulty and the tragic circumstances. Mm-hmm. But the abundant life is actually being fully present to all of life, wow. the good yeah. and the bad, the good where there's joy and it's right. And we sit back and we say, this is exactly the way that it's supposed to be. This is the peace <laughs> of God. This is the shalom of God. This that's is the way right. that God intended things. And the abundant life includes the parts of life where we say, God needs to come and redeem this. That's good. God needs to come and make this whole again, because wow. right now it's broken. Wow. And being present to all of that is actually what it means to be fully human in the manner that Jesus was fully human. Man, that's amazing. Nate, this has been awesome. Yeah. This book is, I'm, I'm sure, is going to impact so many, so many I hope people. So. Golly, I appreciate so much you taking the time to do that. The book is called uh, More Than You More Can Handle. More Than You Can Handle. There you go. I love yeah. it, man. That's so great. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me on. Being I appreciate present. it. And yeah. um, you guys can check out any of this, the resources, the book. It'll be right there on the podcast page of this particular episode. Thanks again, Nate. Thank you, David. Wow. Nate Pyle, what a sharp guy. Holy cow. Mm. He was just like full yeah. of wisdom, full of, uh, I might want to visit his church and I can because he's in Fishers, Indiana. Yeah. What's the name of his church? Oh, he said it, uh, it was like a Christ Community. That's what it was. Christ Community. Um, okay. So just, man, really, really sharp guy. And you can find out more information about that on our podcast page, davidblackburn.com slash podcast. This is episode 47 and you can get his book. I would strongly suggest get his book more than you can handle Incredible book, incredible story. Definitely want to pick that up. Yeah, for sure. We'd also like to thank Brian O'Neill um, at Sleeping at Last for this music. You can download his music at anywhere that you can download music and stream it to your listening devices. Yes, lots of listening devices out there these days. Oh, really yeah. great, really great. And before we sign off, we would love for you to listen to this clip from the next episode of the Nothing is Wasted podcast. Take a listen to this. 
he would just go get like blackout drunk and end up in the hospital. And our home life was a complete disaster. And I'm young. Um, I'm 22 at this point. He's 40 years old. Um, Don't do that. If you're listening and you're 22, like, don't do that. I mean, I know age is just a number, but there is a big mental difference between a 40 year old and a 22 year old. Mm. And, um, so, but I take responsibility for, you know, I, I was not making good choices. Mm -hmm. However, I also had the mind of a 22 year old. Mm. So, um, by Easter, he had cheated on me multiple times. Um, had multiple stents in the hospital of overdosing and all of these things. And, um, and when he would cheat on me, I would just think to myself, well, he, he was going out of town a lot and I wasn't allowed to go. He would use like mind manipulation on me. And as a result, I thought the only way to fix it was to once again, use my body and, um, I thought, well, if he's on the road and he has a home adult video of us, maybe he won't want to cheat on me. Mm. 